2: Hi, everyone. I'm Frankie.
1: (laughs) I'm Adam. Hello. Welcome back.
2: I also want to start this episode by issuing an apology. To everyone that listened to our previous episode, "Triangle at Roads," because there were two pun opportunities that I missed, and it's been bothering me ever since. It's been two weeks; I've been seething.
1: Expand, expand, expand.
2: Because you rightly made the observation that Douglas is like a Labrador, and I missed <laughs> Labra Douglas <laughs> or Labradog, like or, Do- or Douglas, like I just, I just, I've been. I haven't been sleeping for the last two weeks thinking about the missed <laughs> opportunity. I can't believe I got through a whole episode and I didn't pick up on it.
1: When it happened at the time, I did think to myself, this is a very disappointing moment. <laughs> she hasn't picked up on the so library <laughs> <laughs> Well well done for circling back on this. Labra
2: Douglas. I can't believe you didn't correct me.
1: Yeah. Thank you. I
2: mean, this is the thing. I I also find as well, the the more laboured the wordplay and the more you talk about it, the funnier it is, right? When you have to really explain it to people. So... I'm very sorry, everyone. It won't happen again. I'm, I'm going to pay more attention to the pun op- the pun op- the opportunities. <laughs> I think we
1: all know it's going to happen again. <laughs>
2: oh, how dare you. Oh, Damn defensive.
1: You're damned offensive. <laughs> You're damned offensive. Any chance to slip that one in? Uh,
2: Wee. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, we're still out at sea though, Adam
1: Oh my god, and haven't we got a fantastic episode coming up today Because this is the jewel of Series
2: 1 100%
1: I mean, I do have my favourite I think think I've let everyone know that The Dream is my favourite episode And that's the last episode of Series 1 But this one, I think this one's a total treasure chest absolutely it's like what like a like i was just saying to you it's one of those um big budget boiro episodes that has all the glamour all the locations all the suspects all the the little red herrings and everything but it's crammed down into a 43 minute episode and it's written so perfectly as well problem at sea masterpiece problem
2: at sea it's one of my favorites of all of of all of the series Mm -hmm. is is, because it's just it's well we're going to get into it in a minute it's Mm -hmm. got it's so creepy
1: yeah it's
2: really creepy and there's uh just some there's some hilarity in it there's you get to see egypt which i am part egyptian so i enjoy this one from a from a uh, personal perspective Mm -hmm. Uh, and you get just some pure pure gold Hastings in this one, but we're going to get into it. He,
1: he's a camel riding gif machine in this, isn't <laughs> he? <laughs>
2: <laughs> he really, is. he's a camel riding, clay pigeon shooting dreamboat
1: <laughs> bachelor he never about stops boat being awesome. and and, yeah. and as well as well he he also gets uh, moments to be because everyone assumes that Hastings is the dumb one yeah. all the time. He actually does some clever stuff in this. He does. He actually proves his uh, proves his worth. You don't just and, get uh, to yeah, be a captain <laughs>
2: without having a little something going on under the captain's <laughs> hat do you <laughs> and there's something going on there's stuff going on in there not always useful stuff but there's stuff and exactly points for effort As, uh, you know. but before we get into before we set sail i should say we've got to talk about the competition that we ran from our previous episode yes we do in honor of talk like Speak like, talk like, I forget which one it is, Poirot Day, which was on the 20th of September. We ran a competition and we asked people to submit their best Poirot impressions. <laughs> and some some were really good. Some were quite creepy and weird. <laughs> but the good news is you're all going to hear them right now. <laughs> So this was our winning entry, so congratulations to Angela. You deservedly won the competition because of this dazzling impression. Unless you are good at guessing, it is not much use being a detective. That's pretty good, right?
1: Uh-huh, yeah. She um, has already, I think, received the uh, Poirot book set of books. So Wow. Oh, yes. Thank you, Angela. I thought that was sous to be honest. It's that
2: good, isn't it? Now, the, the other entries... <laughs> They were were something. Let's say it that way. Uh, So my very good friend Edith, Edith and I have been friends since we were 16 years old and we do share a love of Poirot. There have been many days in our lives where we've taken days off work and just spent the whole day watching Poirot back to back together. So it is a mutual love.
1: Is her surname Piaf? (laughs) Uh,
2: She should be. So Edith <laughs> sent a little email along with six, six <laughs> entries.
0: Game in Because <laughs> one's not enough. <laughs>
2: yeah. So for, in her email, she said, I hope these aren't damned offensive.
0: You're damned offensive.
2: Honestly, I love listening, guys. You're doing a great job. I'm hastingly looking forward to the next one. And Japs, a rap.
1: <laughs> Marry me. I th- th- this
2: is why I keep her around <laughs> for this kind of comedy gold. You see where I get my terrible pun company from? Come punny. Hmm. Okay, so...
1: Oh, I told you it wouldn't stop. I'm,
2: so- I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Jason Filippo is about to get drafted in <laughs> to work on the podcast. <laughs> right. Okay, so here's number one. All right everybody. but I'm sorry. Unfortunately, Edith wasn't the winner. But if there was a competition for
1: perseverance, taking part. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: But, <laughs>
2: then she would get one. So me, here we yeah. go. Very well. If it we would please you proceed. Now, I don't know <laughs> what accent that was meant to be. But it was
1: it sounded like um something. Who's that guy who was an English football manager? And he went to Holland to be a manager and then he started talking like them
0: <laughs> I sort of knew uh, when I came here and uh, Champions League uh, Liverpool or Arsenal I thought maybe one of them we would draw and uh, it is Arsenal I think Steve
2: someone <laughs> oh my god I watch videos of you on that on YouTube quite a lot <laughs> it,
0: it sounded like that so but yeah and to experience uh, big games Champions League Arsenal at home the Emirates Will be fantastic for the
1: players, uh, not just for now, but in the future as well.
2: He really does.
1: It was brilliant. It was like John Malkovich being Poirot.
2: There you go. That's something. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's number one. Bear in mind, there are five more. Uh, So let's go for number two. You must not excite yourself, Hastings. (laughs) (laughs) So that was Poirot uh, by way of... Jar Jar yeah
1: kind of an Alan Sugar in there <laughs> Hastings you're fine.
2: yeah so that was number
1: two Oh, stop touching yourself don't
2: <laughs> excite yourself Hastings I've gone a bit cockney too far cockney okay number three nonsense Hastings I am wearing the discreet manly cologne
1: definitely there's <laughs> definitely a bit of canary wharf in there Yeah. yeah yeah
2: this is um, very cultured approach okay Yeah. number four oh. <laughs> Go to bed with
1: him in
2: your hand and Catherine the Great will visit you in the night. Now, this one scared the shit out of me when I
1: first it. Would you mind sending that one to me?
2: Sorry. Not at all. Why, do you have some people you don't like that you want to ruin their lives with it? Or
1: I want my children to be celibate for the rest of their lives.
2: Go to sleep. Halloween is close, so it feels quite <laughs> fitting, that one. But, yeah, very, very creepy.
1: I think bed and hand, yeah.
2: So a bed. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's that like the, uh, Yeah, okay, I have I have issues. Okay, number five. Monsieur Bob, here's a person. No.
1: Pardon, here's a dog. Of the country and not the town.
2: Yep. Bob the dog? Yep. Who we will meet in Dumb Witness. That was that's probably one of the more accurate. <laughs> <impressions>. <laughs> Do you think? Or...
1: Yeah, I mean I can't <laughs> put that reasoning, but yeah. Amazing. <laughs>
2: Right, number six, last one from Edith.
1: Oh, dear. That's the one. Pamela, if you wouldn't mind, <laughs> wouldn't mind setting oh that dear. prize back to Edith. Thank
2: you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. What an oversight on my part. If if uh, if they ever remake uh, The, the Adventure of Johnny Waverley, I think we found our new... <laughs> Mr. Waverly, (laughs) with that one.
0: mon dear, you're damned
1: offensive. You're damned offensive. Um, Would you mind making a gif of... Of course. um, Someone looking at a giant cheese toastie with that voice going on. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's like it should be on every Marks and Spencer uh, food porn ad. I think chocolate (laughs) melty in the middle pudding. Mon dear...
2: Yeah, or like near the croissants or something to keep it French, right? Or like
1: something like that. Yeah, that is
2: good. We do also have one more entry. um, And I don't know if I downloaded it or not. I think I did. Let me just double check. I did. And you're not going to believe who it's from. It's not Edith, but it's close. It's actually from Edith's brother, Ed. (laughs) Ed.
1: Did we forget to put this out in the right channel? <laughs> no,
2: no, I think our inbox was just clogged with, with the Rivers family's submissions.
0: <laughs> so,
2: yeah, um, they're both very big fans of the podcast, which is delightful and lovely to hear. So this is Ed's, oh, Ed's yeah. turn.
1: The faintest smell of almonds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, Ed. I don't know what I find funnier great. is... His accent, or the fact that he's called Ed and she's called Edith.
2: Oh, oh God! Seriously, like the it's the funny thing is as well. Ed is Edith, but a male version and a few years younger. But they are basically the same person. It's very, very funny. They're both very tall. Have
1: you ever seen them in a room together? Yes,
2: a few times. I don't believe you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but
2: no, thank. Thankfully, there's only one of each. Um, but they are, yeah, they're Rivers family bringing endless joy to the masses now so oh
1: my god they're going to be world famous
2: thank thank you Edith and Ed Eddith if we combine thank you so much
1: for entering bless you both yes
2: but well done to,
1: <laughs> yeah, well done to Angela mainly yeah, for Angela, Angela for, god's sake, for god's sake Pamela now that I remember your... the name Pamela
2: you <laughs> it really... you were calling her
1: Angela yeah, I know It's called her Angela oh it only takes me a week My my garbage brain to catch up do you want
2: to call um do you want to start calling ed seth
1: (laughs) probably will i'll start calling him number five (laughs) or something next week
2: (laughs) so thank you to everyone that entered we will do another competition at some point but we should probably have a little break because we've run about 400 competitions at this point it's
1: costing us thousands of pounds a week
2: (laughs) 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 yeah let's have a little break from that (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: Shall we catch up with the Whitehaven 4? Yes. I mean, it's Whitehaven 2 again, isn't it? (laughs) Last week it was the Whitehaven 1, but now we've got Hastings on a boat with Poirot, which is all kinds of delightful. Do you want to expand on that?
2: Well, yeah, it's a lads' holiday. Uh, It's just Poirot and Hastings. Sadly, Jap wasn't invited. That would have been the ultimate uh, lads' trip. But, yeah, we've (laughs) (laughs) we've got Hastings. The episode opens with Hastings just falling in love with clay pigeon shooting
1: where did that come from the whole art of clay pigeon shooting lies in the time the trick is when i say Paul, no sorry he's either fixing cars or shooting bricks out of the sky
2: my god he's a manly man isn't he jesus christ
1: this is this is good hastings by the way this is top tier hastings episode
2: oh my god yeah, he is all man, and I like that in my men. <laughs> That's a quote from Naked Gun. Jesus Christ. Okay. <laughs> so, <but yeah. laughs> so sadly, no Miss Lemon in this one, but we'll see her again in the next one, so don't be too sad. The other great thing about this episode, and I know you're excited, is that it's uh, Poirot still in his linens.
1: Yes, he is. And he's absolutely living the dream, by the way because he is, he's found a boat full of people who know who he is.
2: But, yeah, Poirot is having a great time on a boat. It's a bit of a, a big cast of characters in this one, right?
1: Like I say, it's, it's one of those episodes that feels like it should be feature length, mm. but they do a stunning job of condensing it down to 43 minutes. It doesn't feel like for one minute that you're missing anything, but also it doesn't feel overstuffed or anything. Every character feels like they should be there. It's It's a very, very, very... Clever, very well written episode coming up. This is a real treat. This one, I love this
2: one. Yeah, I think we needed we needed a couple of good ones after. We, I mean, we've got a, we've got a rough ride ahead of this series a little bit, but this is solid, solid gold though.
1: Let's begin with the main setup, which is Poirot and Hastings are on a boat and they're going along in Egypt and they're having a lovely holiday. And their fellow passengers include. Adeline Clapperton mm. who is kind of a uh, for want of a better word a shrewish kind of mm. you know wife she's very demanding and very she's a bit of a she's a bit of a nag a bit of a
2: I was say a not so bit of a definitely can't keep that in the episode.
1: watch me <laughs> she's a she's she's
2: <laughs> yeah well I uh, will have my confiscated by the feminists for calling her a <laughs> but she, she's a bit of a bitch and she's very should we say headstrong? Is that the polite word
0: for it? The one thing I must not do is overtire myself. I live so intensely if you know what I mean, Monsieur Poirot. Oh yes. As a matter of fact, I nearly wore myself out as a girl in the war. My hospital. You've heard about my hospital. Of course I had nurses and matrons and that sort of thing but I actually ran it. Your vitality is formidable, dear lady. You're so alive, Adeline, they say to me. But really, Monsieur Poirot, what would one be if one wasn't alive? Dead, madame. It's
2: kind of established very quickly early on that Adeline's not very well liked on this boat.
1: No, no one likes her at all. No. Um, she... She's married to uh, Colonel Clapton, who is a very mousy man mm. and he seems to be well, he, let's say he's not unattractive, should we say mm. i mean people yeah I mean to me how do you look at him and go swoon <laughs> he's but, dreamy um, for you <laughs> <laughs> there are um let's say he's the subject of attention for a couple of ladies on the boat, a couple of young girls who are sort of say early twenties and yeah. also um Miss Henderson, yes. Who is, I would say, uh, an aging beauty. Yes. Who's single and has also taken a liking to Colonel Clapperton, who's this mousy kind of not unattractive man, but sort of undiscovered jewel, should we say, of a man yeah. who seems to be uh, have been stamped down by his domineering wife.
2: Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I would say John Clapperton um, is he's definitely got kind of m- more charisma than his wife and he's a more likable guy he can tell he's just like a nice guy which is i think the the two young girls that you mentioned who are probably the most irritating women i think i've seen in a long time uh they are yeah they they i think they enjoy kind of because i think they know that it's a bit of a thrill that like, a, for, their, oh. for him, that a young man is getting attention from two young... They call themselves hot stuff at one point. I'm like, come on, girls. Um, but, yeah. yeah, I think they, <laughs> they, they, they enjoy playing with him a bit, Does that makes mm.
1: sense. Yeah.
2: Um, but he's loving it, yeah. so, you know, that's fine.
1: The basic setup is you have a domineering wife and a mousy husband. The mousy husband has been taken under the wing of two young and attractive... <laughs> in in quotation marks girls um, and also has caught the eye of Miss Henderson who's I would say probably a sort of 50-ish ageing beauty who's single and thinks he's a very nice Mm. chap and I could totally make a happy life with him if he wasn't married to such a dragon
2: yeah there's General Forbes who he you find out quite early on in the episode so it's hopefully not too much of a spoiler that he didn't he knows uh, Adeline Clapperton
1: and was was in love with her many years ago the dragon lady yes
2: when she was a baby dragon (laughs) yes
1: even remarks at one point um he says something along the lines of i knew adeline when she was lady pardo i knew her before that when she was adeline
0: french i was adc to her father back in 92 when she was seven years old
1: god i can hardly believe it
2: and then then around that you've got periphery characters like you say like you've got mr russell who just seems to wander about the boat a bit (laughs) kind of just
1: is that the older chap
2: yeah, the old dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I have much to say about him later, especially about his performance.
2: Yes, oh my yes, god. Absolutely. And you've also got uh you've got the Tollivers, Mr. and Mrs. Tolliver, who who unwittedly unwittingly get drawn into awkward situations, <laughs> which is quite a <laughs> bit of comic relief later on. Uh, and you've also got some older women who you don't actually really ever know their names. Mm. And they were there with their young niece.
1: Yeah.
2: Who you meet at the beginning as well. They're, they really like singing. They really like singing. There is some singing in this
1: episode. It's a boat full of people, um, and Poirot and Hastings are also among the company.
2: Adeline Clapperton, we've established, is a bit of a dragon lady, which is the nicer way of saying what I said earlier, um, and she there's one bit though that i find incredibly relatable as a woman without children where she, the young girls are like buzzing around john getting all excitable and they're like oh come look at the moon and he hee. and she's like oh for heaven's sake and she she turns to the tollivers and says
0: do you ever go down on your knees and thank god you didn't have any children well as a matter of fact we did
2: and they're like oh we did actually yeah we had two and then she's like gives them this withering
1: look of like Jesus Christ. <laughs>
2: and yeah, I, I that that to me w- redeemed her entirely. <laughs>
1: Basically, um explains your whole life. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so uh, basically, I, this is how I learned that I am a dragon lady <laughs> in the making. And that's going to be my future. So fun.
1: <laughs> I think you say like the first couple of scenes are, you know, sort of you know, the, the, the parties on board getting to know each other. And it's quite clear that uh, Mrs. Clapperton is a very domineering influence over her husband. Mm. It's also revealed that Mr. Clapperton colonel clapton didn't just have an army career he also was quite active on the stage
2: yeah well he does a little he does a little card trick for the for the girls as well which i found very triggering
1: now
0: remember what the card is and put it back into the pack that's good now just a little shuffle your card
2: jizz isn't that clever (laughs) John Clapperton is trying to impress the girls. And what impresses girls more than card magic? (laughs) 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 So he's doing a little card trick. (laughs) Horrendous. Um, He's doing a little card trick to impress the girls. And Hastings and Poirot walk in as he's doing it. And he does the trick, and the girls are amazed. And Hastings goes, Oh my goodness, like that's amazing. You should be on the stage. You could go on the stage with that trick, Clapperton. And he goes really weird and kind of like goes, Yeah, okay. That kind of like the classic English kind of awkwardness and go, oh, Well, anyway, I'm going to bed now. Good night. And leaves. And, and Hastings even says, "Like, Did I say something wrong?
0: Did I say something wrong? I don't know Hastings.
2: So he's a bit funny about his stage career as he should be, because magic is something that people should be ashamed of doing in public. <laughs> <laughs> or at all.
1: Explain. Uh, uh. <laughs> no, okay. No. <laughs> no, I don't mind. I don't mind.
2: I, uh and very long story short, um, my my father, who has passed now, uh, he was uh, uh how do i word it uh he was into
1: the creator
2: yeah yeah he was he was in the magic world that makes him sound like some sort of wizard it wasn't that exciting he was in
1: <laughs> it might be more accurate to say he's a whiz
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, you want to talk about whiz yeah he <laughs>
1: yeah
2: he, he was in the magic circle he he used to write magic tricks and things for Paul Daniels and he yeah he created a TV show called Wizbit. many many no one listening to this will have heard of it I'm certain apart from you
1: are you kidding me everyone who's listening to this was alive in 1989 and of course we'll remember all this bit so they now feel like they're being touched by Stardust
2: oh <laughs> anyway. not at all so but <laughs> uh, obviously because anyone who has grown up with their parents doing anything is obviously horribly embarrassed by that <laughs> so I've always grown up with a bit of a weird feeling towards magic in so much as if I see someone doing a magic trick I feel physically sick. <laughs>
1: Let's just say you weren't willing to take uh, Major Clapperton under your wing then when you saw him doing card magic in this episode.
2: No, I I would not be buzzing around him like the, the, the young girls and keen to. If anything, I would slap the cards out of his hand and maybe take him under my wing and try and make him cool. <laughs>
1: Would you put him in the ashtray and burn him alive? <laughs> Ideally, burn the witch. <laughs> yeah, no,
2: I would have set fire to the cards, maybe the boat just to be safe to make sure that it was all gone
1: <laughs> and
2: uh, jumped in the sea. So lucky I wasn't there. <laughs> you don't have to leave any of that in. But I will. Um, yes.
1: Anyway. But yes, so anyway, yeah. in conclusion, <laughs> magic is <laughs> <shit>. <laughs> Um, so basically, we cut to the following morning, and uh, everyone's getting ready to leave the boats to go off into Alexandria to have a nice nosy around and have some lunch and to sit on a wooden camel and have their first. <laughs> Everyone comes out to the hallway having gotten dressed and gotten ready for the day, and there is Major Clapton at his door. Adeline my dear, strong.
0: The door's locked. I don't want to be disturbed by the stewards. Bonjour, ladies. We're trying to get him to ourselves for the day. Allure him into the souk. <laughs> Cajole him into the casbah. <laughs> what about coming ashore? Certainly not. I've had a very bad night. <laughs> I have to stay in bed most of the day. Well, I think I might go, Adeline. Oh, do as you like, John, for heaven's sake.
2: Because the, the young girls are very excited to drag him around the, the bazaar and, you know, get have a little fun day out with him. Because originally, they, had said they well, she had said for the both of them, we don't go ashore, we don't care about that things I don't like antiques, I only like new things. So But then the, the girls are like, oh maybe we can persuade him. And as you've heard in the clip, he, he talks to his wife through the door and she doesn't even let him in the room. She's like, go away, I'm resting.
1: Watch him whisper. <laughs>
2: No one watched it.
1: (laughs) I did. (laughs) Well, you and one other person.
2: (laughs) So, so yeah. So then, everybody apart from Adeline goes ashore. We can go now. What about your passport?
1: In my pocket.
2: Glory be.
1: There's just setup. Mrs. Clapperton, who's remained behind on the boat and has barked at her husband through the door to go away and leave her alone. Everyone else sees this happening and gets off the boat and they're all going to have a nice day and they're all in each other's company as well. So they're all very aware of who is where and who's and what's happening. Um, when they arrive back at the boat later on, it is discovered that Madame Clapperton has been stabbed to death in her room yes and on the floor of her cabin is a cheap string of is it amber
2: yeah that's the thing there there were a lot of sellers buzzing around on when they when they were in the port um and um, mrs henderson buys a necklace just to stop them from bothering her because they're right they get right up in your face at one point you see one climbing onto the boat like from another boat like they are really quite determined to sell their yeah right point again like like edith with these are the
1: avon ladies of the uh of the jewelry world yeah
2: they are persistent and so yeah and also it's worth noting as well that the door was locked from the inside because they couldn't get in basically john came back to the room he couldn't get in he had to get a steward to let him in because he didn't have his key for some reason and yeah sadly adeline has been stabbed with a great big bloody knife
0: oh my god
2: John goes in, he does a little, oh my God. And then Poirot and Hastings hear that and run into the rescue.
1: Yeah. So there's there's your murder. There's your crime. (laughs) Mrs. Clapperton has been killed inside a locked room. Everyone knows that no one on the boat could have done it because they all were in the hall that morning and they were all listening to her barking at her husband and telling him to go away. So they all left together. So the question becomes, who killed Mrs. Clapperton? Well... What do you say, Mr. Pyro?
0: One cannot hurry the little grey cells, Captain.
1: Such an ingenious episode, this one, isn't
2: it? Really is, yeah. It's oh, so many layers to it. It's so clever. And then also, so as you say, they're all out together, but then they start to look at who came back early, when did people come and go, and they start looking closely at people's Movements. The first one that they probably call into question is that obviously Hastings, after getting his picture taken on a camel, which was spectacular.
0: Be looking fierce, uh, savage. No, 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 Hastings.
1: Now you look merely constipated. What a peach of a moment that is. He's sat on a wooden camel having his photo taken.
2: And the best part is right before that happened, he turns to Poirot and says, let's not go to any of the tourist areas, right? Like, let's go to like the proper stuff. And then he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Cool, 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 cool. And then it cuts to Poirot uh, Hastings on a wooden camel with like Poirot creative directing the shoot. <laughs> like, no Hastings, come on, do this. And it's so, so good that, that when that happens. And then... Uh, Ellie Henderson bumps into them, so they see her, and she she's asking about where John is because she's, she's she knows that he likely has been dragged away by the young girls because they're buzzing around them. But anyway, they after that they're gonna go for lunch, and then Hastings is like, Oh, excuse me, I've got I've just gotta go back to the boat. I've got some some stuff to sort out. And he leaves Poirot with the Tollivers to have a native meal, which is very Concerning for the of <laughs> but we know that we find out later. <laughs> yeah, exactly, MacDonald, and then we see that Hastings has snuck back to the boat because he wants to organise the, the clay pigeon clay pigeon. Pl- pl- oh my god, I can't speak. Clay pigeon shooting competition. <laughs>
1: Give it up.
2: So he's the best.
1: We seem to be having some trouble with the clay pigeon championship. It's worth saying that Hastings, all the way through, his his recurring plotline is that he's trying to organise this clay pigeon shooting competition on the on the boat, and no one is interested apart from Hastings.
2: <laughs> and there's like also that brilliant moment right before John discovers the body of Andeline, It's where he goes runs up to Poirot and he's like, "I've got terrible news, Poirot. We're going to have to move the clay p- pigeon shooting competition." <laughs> Poirot's like, "Oh no, God, it's terrible." <laughs> so he is on fine form. No.
1: <laughs> God damn it! Not the picture. It was originally planned, you see, to take place on the fourteenth, but it seems that we dock at Haifa on the thirteenth, and that's one of those places where we more or less have to go ashore and look at the ruins while they revital the ship. Now that leaves the fifteenth, the sixteenth, and the eighteenth. Seventeenth is no good because that's the night of the captain's party. Oh my God! <laughs>
2: The other person who they are a little bit, well, there's a couple of people they are a little bit curious about. The other one, as we mentioned before, is General Forbes because he didn't feel well. So
1: he went back to the boat. I
2: say, can you hear the quotation marks in my voice?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: didn't feel well and went back to the boat early as well on his own.
0: That nice General Forbes joined us for a while, but he had to rush back. He wasn't feeling at all the thing.
2: There's also the most conspicuous looking steward you've ever seen. hmm. That is behaving rather shiftily with an eye. Has he got like an eye patch under his glasses?
1: <laughs> it's very strange, isn't it? Why would you wear you wear a monocle? We get two um, red herrings here. We get the, well, I say red herrings, but it was sidelines. So Major Forbes, who seems very suspicious and shifty, is quickly interviewed by Poirot, where he reveals a certain truth about the past when it comes to um, Mrs. Clapperton. I was in love with her for years.
0: She was not always the silly woman she became.
1: Then we have a brilliant scene with Hastings where he finally comes good after all of the bumbling and all of the, you know, farting around and lying under cars of the past six, seven episodes. (laughs) He is on the upper deck and spots this Long John Porter, or whatever his name is, (laughs) sneaking off the boat and running into Alexandria while they're still in port. So he very cannily... Follows him through the marketplace to say like a black market kind of area, yeah. Where he sort of does a citizen's arrest on. He calls him my lad as well. (laughs) He
2: channeled his inner hate. He channeled his inner Jap. He could hear Jap being like, "Go on, go on, Hastings, say it, say my line, say it, my my lad." Oh no,
1: you don't. You've got one or two questions to answer, my lad, unless I'm very much mistaken. Basically, he uh, apprehends the steward Mm. with Mrs. Clapperton's diamonds or jewels. So what's happened is the steward has gone into the room Mm -hmm. after, apparently, according to his story, Mrs. Clapperton has been killed, stolen her jewels and has been waiting for a moment to go into Alexandria and sell them. That's what he tells Porro, anyway.
0: Come, Mr. Skinner. Madame Clapperton is dead. You are caught red-handed by my colleague, Captain Hastings, trying to sell the jewellery of Madame Clapperton. You admit that you let yourself into her like cabin. She was dead already. shouldn't have took it. Not when I saw she was dead. i am known it be trouble.
1: The waters are muddying because yeah. the list of suspects who could have done this are running very slim because if it wasn't the porter and if it wasn't Major Forbes who went back to the boat... Poirot must start to think a little bit more laterally.
2: Because yeah, instantly, when the when the porter says, I didn't kill her, they believe him, both he- Poirot and Hastings, presumably because he doesn't have the depth perception to commit a stabbing. <laughs>
1: he would have kept missing. <laughs> <laughs> he would have kept you in the headboard. <laughs> no, like, no, Don't run away. I'm on my way to you, I swear. Just
2: stupid. Just... <laughs> Fine, I'll just take her jewelry for heaven's sake. Jesus. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's probably why they're like, yeah, that, that makes sense. You couldn't do it. And. They they instantly, General Forbes, as you say, ruled out he didn't do it. He actually loved her and actually cared about her quite a bit, even though she was a dragon. And yeah, so now, as you say, things got to get a little bit abstract, got to get a little bit. This is where you're right. This is where we, we, we really see that Poirot is above us mere mortals.
1: The, the great thing about this episode Is that It doesn't conceal anything from you No Every clue is there It just takes Poirot's initiative To say Let's look at it this way And you suddenly Light up mm-hmm. Like a Christmas tree He sees The young girl Who's with the old ladies uh, Talking to her doll mm. And something clicks Inside his head And he suddenly realises That the solution Has been there In front of them All along And it is One of the most Beautiful climaxes to a Poirot episode ever. Oh my it's, God, so it's so good. Little.
2: And you can tell that he loves every f-ing second of it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so you know I love every second of this because basically there is an entertainment happening in the galley, shall we say. Yeah. Everyone's there and they've all got their little acts to do. Oh, God. Mr. Russell gets up and starts doing some kind of limerick or... Poem or something or other, and he's—I <laughs> say rudely, but my God, I would interrupt him as well. By the captain, who says, uh, "Sit down, Mister Poirot." <laughs> has an act to do.
0: One was the wife of a jeweller's de size and one is a girl. I don't. <laughs> now, pardon me, Mister Russell. Yeah, oh, that's all right. Uh, now I am no hand with the ladies. I'm taking sorry.
1: I—I I have to make an announcement. If you would be good enough to sit down, sir.
0: You come and join us, Mister Russell.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, you all know what a tragedy occurred yesterday. It's brilliant because he's in the middle of this sort of poetry reading and the captain says, Hi, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, I've got an important announcement to make. Mr Poirot's going to do an act instead of you. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> like he's the old man famous man doesn't, and you're not. <laughs> yeah, you're not. No. Plus you're a bit rubbish. As you know, we are fortunate enough to have on board with us Mr Hercule Poirot, who is probably known to you all as a man who has wide experience in um, such matters. I hope you'll listen carefully to what he has to say. Mr. Poirot.
0: Thank you, Captain Fowler.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one likes Rudyard Kipling on this boat. <laughs> <laughs> you need to get off pop.
1: So Poirot arrives on, on stage carrying a suitcase. And, um, well, let's hear it. What I am about to do may surprise you a little. It may
0: occur to you that I am eccentric, perhaps mad. Ah, you may say. The little Belgian detective is taking leave of his rocker, huh? (laughs) But I can assure you, behind my madness is, as you
1: English say, method. We'll break away there because the point of Poirot's performance, shall we say, in this moment is incredibly important to the Zoomer. But yeah, we're at the 45 minute mark when that happens. Isn't it clever? <laughs>
2: oh, he's very, very clever. That also, I just want to go back because we have kind of, w- with good reason, sped through a lot of this one because there's so much going on in it. But there are some cracking lines in it and I just want to call out a couple because there are some great ones I think undoubtedly Lusick Byrne probably should go to Adeline because she did get killed for being the worst one of all Um, there was also a great line actually from uh, Mr Russell where he does comment that he would take a hatchet to that woman if he were her husband
0: I'd take a hatchet to that woman if I were her husband I knew a woman like that once in Hyderabad absolutely poisonous
2: that's pretty mean. (laughs) It's a pretty solid burn, I would say. Um, But there's also a really great interaction when Poirot is hanging out with Miss Henderson on the deck. And they're chatting, and then Hastings comes. They're talking about marriage and things, and then Hastings approaches, and he says like, this great exchange about marriage. He's like, "Oh, that's probably why Hastings hasn't succumbed to matrimony." And Hastings goes like, "Matrimony," Goes <laughs> 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 <was> like this,
0: <laughs> which is perhaps why the estimable Captain Hastings has not yet taken the plunge into matrimony. Matrimony. <laughs>
2: Oh, there's also the bit when, when when Hastings is on the camel and Borrow is talking to Miss Henderson and he says...
0: Doesn't he look dashing? Oh, yes, indeed. You know, he looks as if he is summoning up the courage to order the second tea cake.
1: <laughs> I think that's my favourite. It's so good. So what do you think of this episode? It's one of the most lavish episodes of this first series, so I don't think we need to comment on production value. The cast is all... Sp- everyone in this cast is brilliant and it's a large cast as well like we've said there are a lot of characters in this and they're all perfectly played but what do you think of the mystery
2: uh i think it is bloody amazing mm-hmm. i think this is one of the, my favorite as i say one of my favorite ever ones because yeah. it's so clever and mm-hmm. it's such a prime example of the genius of agatha christie in her writing because it's genius and as i say the the way it's delivered the way it's played out the denouement of this one gives me shivers when I when every time I see it, even though I've seen it hundreds of times. So I love it. I can't give this one anything less than a ten because just this banger after banger with the lines. As you say, the production is stunning and the mystery overall. Oh, so good, so chilling, so creepy, so good. What about you?
1: Yeah, I can't I can't disagree with any of that. It's it's one of the one of the episodes I always think oh. This is a good episode, but it's not as good as Problem at Sea. No. This is a good episode, but it yeah. doesn't have that Problem at Sea kind of lateral puzzle to it. Mm. Um, the, and the great thing is all the clues are there. That It's perfectly played. It's, it's, there's no, like, oh, Poirot would understand because he was on the boat, but we wouldn't have gotten that because yeah. Yeah, we weren't there kind of thing. Everything's there for you to see. And it's just a case of whether you pick up on the clues or not. Mm -hmm. And when Poirot points them out, it just makes you go, God, of course, yeah, of course. It's one of those ones. Yeah, Um, It's incredibly clever. All of the clues you need are buried so perfectly Mm. throughout the episode. And it ends on this final act. And it is seriously creepy. There's a moment where should we say the dummy talks that just makes you just, Mm. it sends a chill up your spine. It's, it's one of those, um, it's like Mm. woman in black from 1989 kind of chills, I think it's very well done. It's very well yeah. shot, um, and then yeah. it leads to this denouement. Yes, um, we'll talk about that after yes. the music for people who don't want it spoiled. Yes, but there's also as well um, the whole episode ends on this moment between Poirot and another character, which we'll talk about in, in the denouement thing. That um, is really unconventional. Usually, it ends on a bit of a mm. like a bit of a laugh and a bit of a giggle and ha ha ha. I'll see you again next mm. week, kind of thing. This one ends on a bit of a. It's not a sour note. It's not a bum note. It's more like a, it's more like a dramatic beat yeah. that, that sort of takes your breath away. It's it's fantastically done, and as I say, the whole thing looks brilliant. It's fantastically made as a, an example of scripting to put that many characters into a mm. into a play. Yeah, um, give them forty minutes and tell a story this intricate. Yeah. it's a real feat of engineering. So it's mm. an absolute ten for me.
2: Yeah, and you're so right about that ending. You're so right. It's, you know, I think this is the first, I mean, obviously we've seen a few episodes at this point into the series. This is the one where I feel like Poirot is the most Poirot in that ending. That's a real, that is him. No, it's, he's showing his true self in that moment. He's not being charming. He's not being funny. He's like, no, this is who I am. This is what
1: I believe. It's a real stern moment. It's like a, he's a, like a judge and executioner at that moment. Um, And for those of you who have seen the whole series, if you, think about the murder on the orient express yes the suchet version there's yes. a it ends in very much the same way it's like mm-hmm. he has to sort of confront this truth about himself and speak it out loud and it's brilliantly done yeah it's so clever it is mm.
2: oh god, god what a show it. man
1: i know right and problem at sea what is this episode seven eight yeah. of the first series it, it's, it's it's like a you know buried mm. in there but it's probably the crown jewel i agree i would say i agree of of not just series one but probably the whole series is definitely top five episodes probably of my life to be honest <sighs>
2: with you because it's just yeah it's <laughs> i does i think that with, with with some of the mysteries like we talked about some of the other ones they can be a little forgettable you can't forget this one it's impossible like it haunts your mind forever just the that we talk about it more when the dummy speaks just that in itself stayed with me since i first saw it i think when i was probably about 12 and it's yeah it's
1: oh, so good. And so also good. as well it lends itself to rewatchability. this one I would say more than yes. any other episode because when it you find out the solution watch it again yeah. and you'll you'll see the whole thing yeah. in a different way. It's, oh it's,
2: did you it's solve crazy. this one because I bloody didn't
1: <laughs> I didn't. No I didn't solve this one but no. um, I kicked myself when the solution came. Yeah it's one of those ones.
2: Yeah. Okay. Ah, I had my suspicions as to who it was mm-hmm. but I would never have figured out the method mm-hmm. that I Like, or the way that, yeah, we'll talk about it more after the music,
1: but, whew, genius. genius. This is, this is Christy Mm -hmm. firing on all cylinders, 100%. (sighs) Brilliant.
2: Well, what do you think of it, listener? Did you love it as much as we do? I hope so, because otherwise you won't (laughs) like this episode very much. There's a lot of wax and lyrical about it. But tell us what you think on all of the social channels within reason. We're at Labour's Hercule. If you just type that in, you'll find us. Tell us what you think, because, yeah, I love talking about this one. Or if you've got any longer theories, you can whack it in an email and send it to bonjour at com. Because, yeah, it's it's one of my faves. I hope you love it too.
1: Or if you just want to ring one of us up, that's fine. We'll supply our phone numbers in the, uh, in the show notes. There's, Yours first. Yeah, sure, Would be Frankie's first. And <laughs> then basically, um, yes, just phone us up. Like, I particularly like being called about 1am. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, well, when when they finished with you, um, so about 5am. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> on there for four hours. We oh, love a phone over. call, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, we will talk about the denouement, which is, there's much to say, but if you want to go away and solve it, then what would you say, Frankie, are the key clues that someone would need in order to solve it?
2: So I would say, oof, the clues presented, there's one quite early on, actually, when General Forbes reveals that...
0: Before the war, that fella was on the music hall stage. No. Fact. Music hall stage war comes along, they start letting anyone in. Hun drops a stray bomb, pure good luck. He goes home with a flesh wound in the arm. How did he meet Mrs. Clapperton? Mrs. Clapperton? Lady Pardo, she was then. Really? He got into her hospital somehow.
2: At 1821, when we see John talking through the door to Adeline... We'll just watch it really carefully just take it whole in watch it a few times just because it's great and yeah really look at that scene
0: Adeline my dear strong the door's locked I don't want to be disturbed by the stewards Bonjour, ladies. we're trying to get him to ourselves for the day lure him into the souk <laughs> cajole him into the casbah <laughs> <laughs> what about coming ashore Certainly not. I've had a very bad night <laughs> to stay in bed most of the day. Well, I think I might go, Adeline. Oh, do as you like, John, for heaven's sake.
2: I guess one other clue. When General Forbes is being questioned by Poirot about his movements at about 31 minute 41.47 to be precise, uh, General Forbes says he knocked on the cabin door of Adeline, but she didn't answer.
0: Tell me what happened when you got back to the ship. Well, nothing happened. I went to her cabin and knocked, but she didn't reply.
1: Well, that was Problem at Sea, then. If you'd like to join us to talk about the Dunumon, then we'd be more than happy to see you. But Just come back after the musical sting, because we don't want to spoil anything. Go away and solve the episode with the clues we've highlighted for you. This is not, not one that we can really explain anything about. It's more stuff you just have to watch carefully when it's happening. So if you take those three key clues and um, observe closely, then you should get a bit of an instinct, at least as to who's committed the crime, not maybe how. If
2: you get the who and the how, then Jesus Christ, you should definitely join the FBI, I think. <laughs> You're a genius.
1: <laughs> if you got a who and a how, then you should definitely be in the Dr. Seuss book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah,
2: um, if you don't get this one, don't worry about it, because it's real clever and just enjoy the ride, I would say, because it's a hell of a ride.
1: It is. It's a hell of a boat ride. It's a hell of a camel ride as well.
2: <laughs> it's a head no. of a wooden camel ride.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and order me a tea cake while you're there. <laughs>
2: yes. I'm summoning the courage. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. See you after the music.
1: welcome back so let's talk about this staggeringly good ending let's just first reveal who the killer was who was the killer frankie
2: oh it's your turn to reveal the killer i feel bad oh really well we can take we can say it together how about that so, the killer was
1: it was <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was... Colonel John, John Clapperton. Yes, her husband. <gasps> of course it was. Who else would it have been?
2: Husband did it. Classic. How
1: did he do it, though, Frankie? Oh, my God. So clever.
2: Well, I could explain it, but I, I don't know if I should explain it or do we talk about the, the, the way that Poirot explains it?
1: Let I'll tell you what. Let's let's replay the scene where he talks to her through the door right now.
0: Adeline, my dear, it's the door's locked. I don't want to be disturbed by the stewards. Bonjour, ladies. We're trying to get him to ourselves for the day. Lure him into the souk. <laughs> Cajole him into the casbah. <laughs> what about coming ashore? Certainly not. I've had a very bad night. <laughs> I have to stay in bed most of the day. Well, I think I might go, Adeline. Oh, do as you like, John, for heaven's
1: sake. Now, let's go to the scene at the end where Poirot illuminates the ship full of people as to how it was pulled off. The little Belgian detective is taking leave of his rocker, huh?
0: (laughs) (laughs) But I can assure you, behind my madness is, as you English say, method. Voila. A suitcase. How uninteresting. (laughs) Nothing is less interesting than a suitcase, yes? (laughs) And you are right. Except suitcases have contents. It's a doll. Yes, a doll. Except this doll is an important witness to the truth of who killed Madame Clapperton. But how is it this doll can tell us what it knows, huh? But this is a doll that can speak. You have not heard of dolls that can speak? Yes, of course you have. All we have to do is put this doll back in the suitcase. Uh. Where we cannot see her. She does not like to be seen, this little lady. Do you, ma petite? No. Ah. Now, can you tell us anything about the death of Madame Clapperton? What is it, John? The door's locked. The door's locked. I don't want to be disturbed
1: by the stewards. I don't want to be disturbed by
2: the stewards. So there you go. Oh God! When he gets that doll out the suitcase, mm. Jesus Christ!
1: It's slightly sexual as well, isn't it? He gets very close to. That.
2: Why does he press his face into the doll? <laughs> it's
1: not just even near to it; it's on it. It's like he sticks that doll up his nostril
2: yeah. at one point. He's <laughs> trying to. He's definitely like giving Eskimo kisses to the doll, like kind of like. <laughs> Having a, a little moment with the doll, um, but oh my god, mm. it's so! I remember when i the first time when I saw it as a, a teen, scared the shit yeah, out
1: of me. How so creepy, creepy it was! When that doll starts talking. So one of the clues we highlighted was that Major Forbes points out that uh, Colonel Clapperton was on the stage. Colonel Clapperton does a neat bit of misdirection and pulls out some cards and does a card trick. So everyone thinks he was a magician. Mm-hmm. But no, 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 no. As Poirot explains, he had a different career on stage. It was you, General,
0: who gave me a valuable hint with your mention of the musical stage. I puzzle huh? I think. And then, the evening before the crime, Colonel Clapperton pretended to give himself away he wanted us to believe that he was a conjurer because then it would never occur to us that he was, in fact, a
2: ventriloquist. And if anything, do you know what? He actually was a magician because magicians are liars. All they do is lie and misdirect. So actually, in a way, he kind of was a magician. So, all round entertainer. (laughs) Therapy session for Frankie. (laughs) Everything's fine. (laughs) But it does show you that he... Yeah, he had many entertaining skills and was actually quite manipulative and evil.
0: Because
2: <laughs> wow, <laughs> can I just give give points to, Cla- to John Clapperton for being the greatest ventriloquist of all time? He nailed his wife's voice.
1: I mean, yeah. the 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 key thing is, if you go back and rewatch it a second time, you'll see that every time she speaks you can't see his face yeah, but every he time he's door. talking he turns to sort of like look at everyone and sort of it's very cleverly done very well shot I mean, if only he drank a glass well of water,
2: water while he did it that was always the trick wasn't it the <laughs> ventriloquists used to do on stage be like oh darling can you open the door I'm just going to sip of water while you answer <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm just standing in the hall drinking water as you do <laughs>
2: Um. (laughs) Like, he's very good at drinking that water. (laughs) Not knowing his ventriloquism. But yeah, it was... Yeah. Wow.
1: Clapton. So basically, he he got up in the morning, stabbed her to death, got dressed, uh, left her body in the cabin, uh, locked it, and um, then... talked to her through the door, in quotation yeah. marks, while everyone watched. Uh, so they all thought that she was still alive. Then he had an alibi all day. He was with two young ladies in Alexandria mm-hmm. all day. So when he came back and opened the door and feigned shock, yeah. it was like, well, it couldn't possibly have been him because uh, he's had an alibi all day. And that that's basically the plot. And, and that's how he, how he pulled it off. He was a ventriloquist on the stage, yes. not a magician.
2: And it's just so bloody sinister this one when you think about it because they and this is where we get onto the the kind of the moral quandary at the end almost within it
1: yeah yeah the moral stuff is it's very murky at the end isn't it it is
2: because i mean throughout the whole episode it's widely established that adeline clapperton was not a nice person nobody liked her she was horrible Mm. and everyone felt sorry for him because she was she he was so browbeaten by her and he, she was so horrible to him. And she, in front of them numerous times in the episode, belittles him, emasculates him. And everyone thinks, God, this poor guy needs to get away from this woman. I don't think they were thinking that he should kill her. He kind of took that upon himself. But, you know, there is that feeling at the end, particularly from Ellie Henderson, where she's she tells Poirot off after that beautiful performance by Poirot, who I think, you know who could well be on the stage himself with that kind of presentation skill. You know, she says to him, that was really cruel of you that you did that.
1: Colonel Clapton, all the way through the episode, seems to have been this meek, mousy character. In actual fact, what he's done is he's emotionally manipulated several of the female characters on this boat. The two young ladies have kind of got a crush on him and they can't really articulate why but they like taking him under their wing and mm. that's kind of sociopathic behavior from him yeah. ellie henderson is basically in love with him yeah and there's a hint that maybe he's reciprocated in some way you know before the story started but he's kind of thrown her over to go off with these two young girls who, who sort of caught his eye and made him think well, you know maybe it's time i recaptured my youth and got rid of my wife kind mm. of thing so I mean, I mean, he's kind of a little bit of a gaslighter all the way through. Yes. He's got a wife who apparently dominates him. He's got Ellie Henderson who it's suggested that there was at least a flirtation between them. Yeah. And then he has these two young girls. And what's happened is he's thought to himself – I, I, I'm unhappy. These two young girls are very interested in me. I'm going to free myself from my domineering dragon of a wife and I'm going to... Um, have a threesome. ...go soon. off and have the life of war's dreamed dog. <laughs> 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 but basically, um, after Poirot pulls this ventriloquist stunt at the, in the galley and shows him up to be this manipulative killer, uh, Ellie Henderson takes Poirot to task because she's mm. so hurt and upset that... That she's been fooled, yeah. but as well, that the man she loves has been exposed. She calls Poirot unfair and says, you know, did a dirty, rotten trick cruel of you. this yeah. guy. And Poirot just recognises everything that's happened in that moment and just thinks, I'm not going to stand here and sugarcoat it. Yeah. He just delivers it and it's like a truth bomb. He's like, I don't approve of murder. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. You just have to. F- yeah, up with that. and walks away.
2: Yeah, the scene. <laughs> and, um,
1: leaves her Thin. there.
2: Yeah. yeah, It's brilliantly
1: done. It is because it's it ends on a real dark, dark note instead of a you know a laugh or a chuckle as it usually does. But that's
2: the thing. I think with that, with with all of Agatha Christie. It's always described as cozy crime, right? It's the kind of crime you can watch a murder converse, murder show at three o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, and it's not shocking, and it's light hearted, and everybody's, you know, you can watch it with the whole family. But at the end of the day, it is a bloody murder. A woman was stabbed by her husband in a very brutal way, and the manipulation around it, like you say, was very intricate and evil. So, yeah. It's a good occasionally to get a reminder that murder's quite bad and quite serious. And of course, Poirot doesn't approve of murder because he is, a, at, the, at his core, a moral human, you know, where he takes it very, very seriously. So, Ellie Henderson, get over your crush of your bad boy boyfriend because he is a bloody murderer.
0: He didn't do it for me. It was those girls' youth, it made him feel his slavery. He wanted to be free before it was too late. We all have such dreams. When did you guess it was him? His self control was too perfect. No matter how galling was the conduct of his wife, it never seemed to touch him. That either meant that he was so used to it that it no longer stung, or else. He knew his bondage would soon be over. It was a cruel, dirty trick you played, Monsieur Poirot. I do not approve of murder,
1: Mademoiselle. She seems as well like a, a little bit of a mouse herself. Yeah. Because as i say she's almost like an aging beauty and you can tell that she kind of saw this as her final chance for love kind of thing and and, and to to be able to say this about a character that you spent just 40 yeah. minutes with Incredible. shows you the depth and the cleverness of the writing on this one you can see that she sort of thought this is my last chance at love and and she has a she lashes out at Yeah, and he's just not having it no. he, he just says i don't approve of murder and you can tell he walked away and didn't speak to her again for the rest of his no. life and, and he was like you know i can't be bothered with your No. This guy killed his wife. He's going to prison. If you want to stand there and mourn him, fine. Yeah. Then just leave me alone. Yeah. It's, It's brilliantly done.
2: And it shows you're so right about it shows the complexity of her character as well, because before she she kind of starts taking Poirot to task, she says to him, like, I know, I know he didn't do it for me. I know he did it for the girls. So she she's aware that regardless, he didn't want to be with her. But it's just like it's yeah, it's so much depth to it. And it's God beautiful. I think and it's also I guess from her perspective, she feels a bit sorry for him, because when John when when Poirot is doing his little performance with the doll and the doll starts speaking, instantly John breaks. His his very calm, yeah, very measured p- persona shatters in that moment, and he starts shaking, and he's going all red, and like stands up, and he looks genuinely haunted, as if he has seen a ghost.
1: He metamorphosizes it in front of the yeah. room, doesn't he? He goes from this mousy character who's sort of, like chuckling along, he turns into this evil kind of cockroach of a yeah. character who's struggling to get away. It's yeah. brilliantly played. Yeah, yeah,
2: completely. Just everything, everything that he was held together with just, bleh, and he just reveals mm. himself entirely, and yeah, it's. Oh, it's that, I think that's almost what makes it extra haunting is the creepiness of the doll talking. And then on top of that, you see John's true face and his breakdown happening before your eyes. Oh, it's just such a masterclass, isn't it? It's just perfection.
1: <laughs> this is honestly, uh, I would point any writer, aspiring writer to this episode yes. and say, if you can tell this much story in 40 minutes, then you're doing something right. How many characters are on this boat? General Forbes, Ellie Henderson, Clapperton. Mrs. Clapton, Kitty, Pamela, Mr. Russell, Mr. Tolliver, Mrs. Tolliver, the two old ladies, that's 11, plus the yep, little girl, that's niece. 12, the captain, and yeah, the, the captain and the porter, that's 14, um, and then you have Poirot and Hastings, that's 16 characters. If you divide the amount of screen yeah. time between 40 minutes and 16 characters, that's roughly three minutes each. And to be able to have that much connection and know that much about a character yeah. in three minutes, it's just beautiful. So, yeah, this that episode is. is an absolute all-timer. Problem at sea. It's, it's the watermark. It's the uh, the high benchmark. Is that
2: a sea-related pun? <laughs> yeah, that was um, good. <laughs> it's the barnacle. Uh, did, <laughs> that, I'm the barnacle on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> did you solve it, listener? Did you get it? Did you at least... So, I don't know about you, Adam. I figured it was probably him that did it. It is usually the husband that does these things, but I would—I n- did not get how he did it. I did not get that. Did you?
1: No, I—I well, I, I kind of got it was him mm. because who else would want to kill her? Yes, it's either him or a random market seller, and that just doesn't yeah. sit with you. So yeah, you can kind of guess it's going to be the husband. I'm guessing the the uh, method is the, yeah the tricky tricky part and it's no, brilliantly concealed but so, yeah, did you, if you it. got
2: it at home listener please tell us about it because you are as i say you should be drafted by the fbi and you should be hunting serial killers um with them because you are a genius so
1: mm, you should also be writing mystery novels yeah all, all
2: that <laughs> there is no in between <laughs> inside either or um so yeah that was so much fun what a great episode
1: let see I'm so glad we've finally done it. This has been one I've been looking forward to for a while. So.
2: Same. Brilliant. Great. Well, thanks for listening, everyone.
1: Thank you for joining us. And we'll see you for the next episode which is The Incredible Theft
2: <laughs> The Incredible Theft <laughs> yeah we just remember the high of this episode
1: <laughs> and to, to
2: keep that with you for a while because it's going to get a little bumpy on the, the descent shall we say
1: going to dip ever so slightly but you know still a very interesting still concept.
2: fun oh, we're going to have fun <laughs> we always have fun <laughs>
1: one on me. yes cool, cool. Well, au revoir and we'll see you soon au revoir
2: Music. If you'd like to keep up to date with what we're doing or get in touch with us, you can follow us on Twitter at LaborsHercule. We're also on Instagram if you like pictures at Labors of Hercule. And if you were born in the 1920s yourself, then you can be all old fashioned and email us at bonjour at thelaboursofhercule.com. That's it from us, see you next time. Au revoir mes amis.